Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much echoes yeah. the kind of language we've heard from uh, Dilani Silgers. Sorry. Thank you very much, Vera. No, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was a mute, but apparently it wasn't. Apparently it wasn't. <laughs> It's Friday, September the 22nd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Royal Rear of the Year Judge, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Lunar Explorer. Yeah, I think we should start with you, uh, I think we probably Gordon. unfortunately should. Let's yeah. get this over with. Let's, let's, um, let's, get, let's bat through this as quickly as possible. Yeah, um, Because you want to talk about your favorite football talk show. Uh, that's, my favorite uh, football talk Dutch show uh, host. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, Johan Dirksen um, uh, caused uh, something of a, uh, a stir um, because um, on was it, it was on uh, f- uh, uh, Football Inside. They keep changing the title. It's now called Vandaag yeah. Inside. Yeah, on Van Dijk's yeah. side, uh, when they were talking about Prince's Dach, and uh, Dexon uh, rather clumsily butted in, and um, you know, they were talking about uh, because it was the debut of uh, Princess Alexia on in the royal party because she is 18 this year, and so she now joins her sister and her mother and her de- and her father, the king, um, in the royal procession from Palace Nordhende down to uh, the Koninklijke Schouwburg. And there's lots of talk about her and the dress she was wearing and her hair. You know, she's a redhead. And, um, yeah, Johan Dirksen at one point piped up and said, uh, yeah, and she's also got a nice ass. Lekker <laughs> <laughs> kontje, yes. yes. Uh, and that uh, that caused uh, quite some stir nah, uh, it caused on quite the internet, of course. On social media. And, uh, yeah, and this is Johan Dirksen, remember, who constantly complains that he's being cancelled. And then, but the, he's cancelled in this way that he keeps coming back and saying even more tedious and predictable and sexist things. And you just can't cancel Johan Dirksen. You know, he, he he's always going to be there. He, he's always going to be there like Kurt Villers an athlete's foot and Johan Dirksen. They're things you just can't get rid of. So, no, he's completely yeah. uncancellable. Uh, but, of course, there was lots of reactions to him. Um, from, because uh, he's ov- well over 70, I think. Right? He's 74. So, yeah, l- and Alexia's 74. 18. So he's uh, yeah, so. commenting on the physique of uh, a woman who is l- not even a quarter of his age. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, so he's entitled to his opinion and we shouldn't cancel him. He's free to say it, but other people are free to say that he's a sad, washed-up old tit, because he is. Um, <laughs> and that's that. So, um, that's that. But you, yeah, but, but you, uh, your job title refers to another source of OPEF that I thought we should shoe in, um, because uh, one of our, probably the, uh, the number one source of OPEF on this podcast, uh, had quite a day of it in, uh, during the budget debate, did he not? Yes, uh, I, I was there. I was at the, in the in the public gallery uh, when this happened. Uh, we will talk about uh, the the budget day debate later on in the podcast. Um, fortunately, we can ignore Thierry Baudet, the leader of Forum for Democracy, <laughs> in that segment. But we can still have to talk about him. We still have to mention him at least uh, now because uh, yeah, it, it is it is it is nice to to point out when he is uh, yeah embarrassed and uh, yeah um, he he makes a fool out of himself. Yeah. Um, he was on. Uh, he was speaking in the debate, and at some point, Geert Wilders, the PVV leader, he walked forward, and out of the blue, he asked um, uh, Baudet whether he believes the moon landing has had happened or not, because Wilders said, "I had heard you say uh, something like that in a sense, in a, something like I don't believe in that uh, somewhere," and he hopes it, it isn't true. So he asked him to comment on that, and um, uh, <laughs> Jerry Baudet. Uh, he said that uh, of course he doesn't believe it's true he is a conspiracy lunatic he also mm-hmm. doesn't believe in 9-11 he said that as well I wasn't there I think the the, the official story is uh, is, is bogus it isn't true whatsoever yeah. he said that 9-11 was, uh, was, was a way that uh, enabled the uh, US government to bring in lots of laws that allowed them to torture people and invade seven countries didn't he? That was, yeah. so it was a front yeah. basically it was like a false flag operation or something I don't even know 
Indeed, yeah. and what was also a false flag operation was the moon landing. Yes, um, or at least he said <laughs> that he has some doubts that in the 60s they were technically capable of doing something like that. And he also uh, said that oh, very mysteriously that the, the the technique to to achieve something like that disappeared, even though uh, the US went to uh, the moon <laughs> a couple of uh, couple of quite a number of times. Yeah. Um, quite recently, uh, again, they've, 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 they've gone to Mars. In fact, lately, and we sent probes to that's Mars right. now. So yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's not uh i don't think they have brought a human human person over no, there um so uh he said that i have some doubts but i wasn't there so i actually don't know yeah and then um <laughs> and wilders responded uh very uh <laughs> humoristically he said well if i hear you speak like that it sounds like you're already halfway to the moon <laughs> uh, <laughs> and just uh the, the 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 sheer level of laughter coming from the from the pl plenary chamber <laughs> and also the public gallery was just uh, deafening and uh yeah it was also quite a hit on on the internet yeah. to see uh, it was, to see him joke like it was a great moment like yeah like so it was, it was on the great moments yeah. um the white house uh, the, the u.s white house shared a meme today on twitter about something completely different but the meme was when the when the worst person in the world makes a great point and that's kind of how i felt when i saw <laughs> builders uh, come back with yeah, that response yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so uh yeah the moon landing also wasn't a false flag operation <laughs> that really happened they did plant yeah. the, uh, the 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 u.s flag on the moon but because it is completely bleached right now the moon is officially the territory of france um <laughs> but that's a different story yeah yeah but which is also being conquered by king charles this week i noticed so yes that's right yeah. he, uh, so, he so, had so the brits now dinner. own the moon yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Versailles, Via France. and I'm uh, I'm told the uh, the dessert at the state dinner was uh, cake. Yes. Speaking of ophef, there was uh, even more ophef this week, and the official ophef comes from Doren in Gelderland, um, where solar panels on the roof of three terraced houses spell out a Dutch slang for penis. <laughs> the two outer houses already had solar panels, but the ophef started after the house in the middle decided to do so as well. While the houses appear to be completely identical, apparently there is one single difference between the houses, and that is that the skylight in the middle is a little bit different, mm. and that meant that the new solar panels had to be placed around it. <laughs> Clearly, both the owner and the installers didn't pay any attention whatsoever, and now the U-shaped configuration of the new panels, together <laughs> with the other two L-shapes, yeah. are now forming the word lul, yes. which means... <laughs> cock to, or to, dick yeah. or something like that yeah. to, to the hilarity of people flying over over the top of these houses yeah yes yeah. uh yeah indeed because the word immediately caught the attention of bypasses and the photo of the roof yeah. became a viral hit on the internet yeah. does johan jackson's flight uh, private jet fly over that town because that would uh, be appropriate oh i i am i i don't think so even though it is it is somewhere between Hilversum and Drenthe right Jodefs yeah. lives in Drenthe so yeah. it could be it could be um, the local municipality in Doren received complaints from neighbors especially after helicopters and small airplanes started to buzz around it in the skies above the willy roof <laughs> the owners of the three houses spoke to local newspaper the Gelderlander one is very unhappy with the attention and doesn't see the humor the other basically doesn't care as long as his energy bill remains this low. Mm. But he's glad his neighborhood is no longer known for the uh, sheer amount of criminality that uh, takes place That's there. a bonus. Yeah. I, I didn't, I, I never imagined Doran had a bad neighborhood, but again, they had some dodgy German neighbors uh, living there for quite some time. Right. right? So yeah. that could be it. Yeah. Uh, the local municipality has started an investigation to decide if the Lul solar panels are acceptable <laughs> or not. You don't need a permit for solar panels, but that doesn't mean you can do what you like, a spokesman of the municipality said. Yeah. And this reminded me a little bit of... Um, yeah, what you often see here in the Netherlands is cars from Germany or Belgium driving around, mm. and uh, Dutch license plates. They avoid um, private numbers. Pr private numbers, yeah. but also um, Dutch license plates also avoid the vowels, yeah. and it means that you, n yeah, never have a, a, a weird word spelled out on a license plate but this is not the case for german or belgian license plates so often you see a belgian license plate with lul yeah. driving around or, or something uh, yeah. other or good or yeah. something very inappropriate <laughs> and that same the same thing for 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 german uh, license plates but that never happens in the netherlands and also um abbreviations of political parties are avoided for example yeah. or 
uh, other sensitive words. So uh, yeah, they uh, we have a strict uh, n- uh, uh, no word. Uh, we have a strict list of of uh, letter combinations yeah. that are not <coughs> allowed. Yeah, letter combinations have been cancelled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Your index is also not available. Exactly. No, you can't have that either. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, 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 peanut, penis. Yeah. So, we've had um, uh, a urinating polar bear and now a penis on a, a, a penis <laughs> roof. I can detect a theme to the recent op Yes. Yeah. It remind, reminded me of the um, uh, the, uh, the 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 schoolboy who actually went up onto the roof of his parents' house and chalked a penis on the roof, and they only found out when uh, I think a police helicopter passing overhead noticed it <laughs> <laughs> and contacted the and went and knocked on the door to see uh, what, why there was a. <laughs> Did you know there was a huge cock and balls on your roof? <laughs> <laughs> this week, we give you a rundown of the caretaker government's budget plans. We ask why the King's speech was marked down by two university professors and pick out the highlights of the showpiece debate of the year. A Dutch man is released from a Spanish prison after two months. Trials begin with a vaccine for bird flu. There are mixed fortunes for Dutch football clubs in Europe. Plus, we tell you why a living room ceiling in Friesland has been added to the World Heritage List. It was Prince's Duck in The Hague on Tuesday, that day of pomp and circumstance featuring a glass coach, lots of outlandish hats and a briefcase. Perhaps only the Dutch could make such an occasion of the presentation of the annual budget, but the atmosphere was a lot less jovial than usual this year. Oh, it, this is really true, right? <laughs> yes. The only day we have royal ceremony yeah. and pomp and circumstances is the day the budget yeah. is presented. The day that yeah, uh, the course. government uh, presents its uh, annual finances. Yeah. But the atmosphere is a lot less jovial than usual this year. The royal carriage passed protesters holding up banners and upturned flags on its journey from Nordeiner Palace to the Koninklijke Schouwburg Theatre. At least seven people were arrested and the balcony scene was cut short because of loud booing from the crowd. Or otherwise, or perhaps inappropriate noises from 74-year-old shaggy-haired men. The king delivered a sombre speech from the throne that focused on the threats at home and abroad. Beneath the Netherlands' prosperous facade, too many people still can't count on having a decent home, good health and domestic stability, he said. And beyond its borders, democracy was under threat from global unrest and Russia's illegal war of invasion against Ukraine. And when Sigrid Kaag opened her budget box, she repeated the message that the government needed to do more to help the vulnerable. Although the cabinet has lost its mandate, she produced a 2.3 billion package of measures to relieve poverty and small increases in taxes on the wealthy to fund them. So, Gordon, you were actually standing outside the gates of Nordheim Palace, weren't you? I was actually, yes, um, outside the palace when the carriages uh, arrived to collect the, um, the king and the queen and the princesses. Did you wave? Uh, did I wave? No, because I was holding my camera up. That was a mm, two-handed okay. job. Good excuse. So, yeah. Good excuse. I didn't wave and I didn't um, boo or whistle either. <laughs> or ho- hold up an upside down British flag. No. Um, so, uh, what are the highlights of the budget? Because the government is, yeah, you know, uh, in, a, in caretaker mode. Uh, they, they supposedly should present a, st- a sl- trimmed down budget, yeah. but uh, they didn't really do that, right? Well, it was kind of a pared down budget because there was uh, the spending commitments were a lot smaller than they were in previous years. And uh, the king and Sikhikar uh, both said there were limits to what they could do, but there are also issues that couldn't wait for. Uh, another government to take office, especially as it's uh, you know last time it took a year for the uh, for the for the cabinet to uh, be put together, um, and who knows what's going to happen this time. So on some issues, they said they were going to press ahead. That's things like compensating the uh, uh, people in Groningen whose homes have been damaged by earthquakes, and the families who were affected by the Tuslachenaffera, the child uh, where the tax office um, wrongly accused them of defrauding on their child benefit. That will keep going. Um, and also, of course, there's uh, lots of worries uh, about people at the lower end of the income scale not being able to pay their bills because uh, inflation has been rising, the economy is cooling and interest rates make borrowing more expensive. So while last year we had a 15 billion euro package of plans to help everyone meet the rising costs. Uh, this time the measure was much more modest and targeted. The energy price cap is coming to an end, but uh, that's OK because prices are well below the cap level now. The government's also extending the emergency support for financially vulnerable households until the end of the winter. 
And that will all be financed by taking more taxes from the highest earners. So the threshold for the top rate of income tax, the 49.5% that you pay uh, if you're a top-end earner, that's being raised, but only by 3.5%, which is um, to €76,000. Um, that's less than the rate of inflation. So the effect of that is that when you take pay rises into account, more people will be paying the top rate of tax. And also the uh, the bottom limit for wealth tax is the tax-exempt portion is being frozen so if you have assets worth more than 57,000 euros they'll be taxed and next year it'll be at 34% rather than 32% so again people with um, yeah um, uh, large amounts of um, piled up wealth will be paying more tax on it the government thinks that will raise 1.6 billion of the 2.3 billion and there's also an extra 275,000 raised through corporation taxes and 100,000 from raising the duty on alcohol and tobacco yeah and and we have a new buzzword in town i believe right uh, bestaanszekerheid what's that about yes uh, security of existence so the idea that we need to make sure that everyone can pay pay for food and heating and water and all the essential things and said that uh, like, uh, the ability is that might that is that perhaps Sorry? a word a good word livability livability is kind of yeah it's not really a common word in english though it's uh, yeah. and then you, oh. how do you distinguish that from leefbaarheid which is more about yeah, you know right. whether uh, towns and cities are well planned and pleasant places to live in so yeah it's a difficult one to translate yeah. but it is basically the idea it's just to do with the cost of living I mean, in, in certainly in yeah. the UK we talk about the cost of living crisis and how you support people who are struggling with it um, and that's what it's about Peter Omzicht's made it one of the two central priorities for his new party New Social Contract and because he's the uh, most uh, yeah, uh, popular guy in the Dutch media at the moment everyone now is talking about Bestand Zekerheit Kach used it in her presentation of the budget speech it was in the King's speech as well and we're going to hear it an awful lot during the election campaign and of course it's prompted by the insecurity do, do you know who has been using this word for the past i think 15 years or something um Hen, uh, johan remkes <laughs> no the socialist party yeah they 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 always mention it in every debate hmm. and uh yeah they yeah kept losing seats and seats and seats and now Peter Omtzigt uh, names it once and uh, everyone is talking about it unfortunately for them yeah he's everybody's hero yeah as so often it's the two-slagen affair all over again isn't it like, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah that's right but um, I mean yeah, it, it's, it's become a buzzword because obviously you know people are very worried about how they can pay for basic essentials um, inflation uh, was extremely high last year it's coming down it's, it was 3% in August but core inflation is still 6.4% and some foods in the supermarket uh, are coming down but others are still a lot more expensive than they were a year ago and rising interest rates of course have consequences for the cost of people's loans and mortgages so that's going to have an impact as well the CBS, uh, the statistics agency, calculated recently that spending power dropped by 1.2% last year, and that's the biggest fall in 40 years, and it would have been 3% without the energy price cap and the other support measures. Uh, so, and, and now the worry is that more people are going to fall into poverty. Um, the plan, uh, I think the uh, planning agency, the Central Plan Bureau, um, said that um, the, the next year the proportion of people in poverty was going to grow from 4.8% to 5.7%, but now that uh, CAC has uh, introduced these new mitigations, it will stay at 4.8%, because uh, otherwise we would have had a million people living below the breadline, which is not a slogan you want to fight an election campaign on. <laughs> no, that's uh, definitely not a good slogan, though. Um, and uh, are there other spending plans announced? Yes, there's uh, 64 million for sheltered work schemes. That's uh, workplaces for people who are disadvantaged in the labour market. There's also 168 million to continue the free school meal scheme for uh, poorer children, and 112 million for crime prevention. The international development budget is uh, being cut, and that's to cover the increased cost of sheltering refugees in the Netherlands. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the asylum and immigration is uh, going to be uh, is, is an ongoing uh, problem to be fixed. And the cost of supporting the war in Ukraine, of course, goes on. The government's budgeted 1.1 billion in military aid and 3.4 billion to support refugees. 
and there's currently 89,000 Ukrainians in the Netherlands, and they expect that number to go up next year to 111,500. And the cabinet's budgeted for support for Ukrainians through to 2026, so rather depressingly, it expects the war is going to go on for a couple of years yet. Yes, um, and were there any other highlights in the king's speech? Yeah, he kind of he, it was a retrospective speech because it's his 10th anniversary as king, and uh, he's done a podcast all about it, and uh, he listed uh, some of the highlights, although it wasn't exactly a um, it was a, a colourful list. Uh, he mentioned uh, the MH17 uh, shooting down, obviously the coronavirus pandemic, uh, and the the, uh, the the fact that uh, he apologised on behalf of the nation for the history of slavery in July, mm. um, and mentioned that uh, you know discrimination and racism uh, still exist in society. A lot of some mention of healing and reconciliation, um, offering people's perspective, trying to bring the country together. So obviously uh, a sense that uh, you know. And he wants to acknowledge that uh, you know, the government is trying to address people's concerns um, and ensuring things like as many people as possible could could work. Uh, I think uh, Mark Rutter slipped a few Fefe Day campaign slogans into this speech as well. Um, there a couple of moments. Oh, did he? Well, <laughs> I think the most glaring example was when he said, uh, Fedinen kommt for Fedelen. So you have to earn money yeah. before you share it out which I uh, thought was very much a kind of Fefe Day sentiment. Um, yeah, no, 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 there's also a bit about um, uh, the, the need to tackle organised crime and get organised criminals out of our streets and our neighbourhoods, which yeah. uh, is very... Ah. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the, the, that's a vacu- echoes a lot of language you've heard from uh, Dylan Yashilgas uh, lately about uh, yeah. you know cracking down on, on, you know, on, on importing uh, uh, Italian... Sto- or, 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 sorry, on introducing Italian-style laws uh, to, uh, to, to kind of break the influence of the mob. And, uh, yeah, the King thought a lot about Ukraine as well because foreign policy is one area where the cabinet isn't constrained by the fact it's uh, no longer got a mandate so the king said the, yeah. brutal- the brutality of Russia's invasion underlined the need for more European solidarity and uh, less dependency on countries like Russia for our, uh, for our energy and also showed why we need to value and protect democracy at home which required everyone to get involved he said democracy is about much more than casting a vote it's an attitude yeah, and um, uh, reducing uh, the uh, yeah uh, the deficit, um, uh, fighting crime, and also the statesmanship of Margaret. That those have been uh, campaign topics for the Fever Day for many years now. So yes. uh, yeah, it's uh, it, those are indeed uh, typical Fever Day topics. Yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, uh, everyone everyone was happy with the King's speech, I assume, right? Uh, no, language experts are very critical. <laughs> uh, they said it was too long. It was a very long speech, wasn't it? It's it, longer than was it long this time? So I usually, it's it, around s- little over twenty minutes, right? Yeah, it's maybe a uh, little bit longer than that. Maybe twenty. F- hmm. I, I didn't time it. I didn't have a watch on it, but um, he 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 had a, he had his reading glasses on for the first time. People uh, mentioned uh, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he is like in his uh, well into his fifties now, so I'm surprised. Yeah. To, uh, yeah, you'd have thought you'd have needed them earlier, but um, yeah, you, you would. You would. Uh, but you you would have thought that he was able to with his uh, with his uh, uh, income increase of fifty five thousand this year. You thought you would thought he would be able to buy one that uh, looks 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 a little <laughs> bit less like it's coming from the crowdfund. I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe he was showing uh, you know he was showing solidarity with uh, you know, people struggling with their bestandsekerheid. I don't know. Ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, that's why he arrived in his gilded, yeah, and sat on an extremely expensive chair. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, so no, the had, um, the speech. <laughs> yeah. So, so no, the um, two professors at uh, Utrecht University, Leo Lentz and Henk Panda, analysed the text, and they said it contained too many difficult and unfamiliar words, sentences, and constructions. And they measured it on a kind of reading scale. And they scored it at 58, which they said is slightly less convoluted than the court judgment and only slightly more complicated than the letter you get from the council telling you about a new one-way system in your neighbourhood. The professors wrote a simplified version of last year's speech and they tested it against the original using two sample groups and they found that the group who read their version not only understood the contents better, but they were also more positive in general about uh, what it said. So... Mm. Okay. Lessons there, and uh, I kind of like the fact that uh, uh, Kids Week, which is like a newspaper that gets handed out in schools, did their own version of the King's speech, and they cut it down oh, to really? about six paragraphs. And I can't fault it. It's, uh, we're going to link to it in the liner notes, but um, yeah, 
It's basically just we should uh, <laughs> we, we we should uh, uh, I- insert the uh, the King's speech uh, to Chat GPT and ask it to reduce it as much as possible. Let's see what's uh, what is the result of that. I'm uh, I'm curious. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Kids Week did a good job then if they uh, managed to squeeze everything in in, in in what was it six paragraphs? Uh, five paragraphs. Well, five paragraphs yeah. even. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, that uh, that would save a lot of time because uh, it, I have to say it is always very hard to, uh, yeah, keep your attention to the speech, especially because uh, yeah, Willem Alexander isn't a great or- orator. He's not, is he? No, he's um, not the most engaging speaker. But, uh, no, yeah. no. Uh, the 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 only things that keep you awake are his little mistakes, which he, uh, <laughs> fortunately for us, makes quite often. Yeah, such as good. Um, yeah, because uh, Hamer picked him up on one, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, the yeah. the the reading glasses he, uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. The Day of the Prince's Dag is traditionally reserved for the two-day-long Budget Day debate, also known as the Algemene Politieke Beschouwingen, which is considered to be the most important debate of the political year. On the first day, the Tweede Kamer debates the budget among themselves. The coalition faction leaders defend it, while the opposition leaders try to shoot the miljoenennota down as much as possible and propose alternatives. And on the second day, Prime Minister Mark Rutte answers all the questions asked the day before and debates the budget day with the entire Tweede Kamer. There is, uh, however, there is one important difference to other years. Mark Rutte has announced his retirement from Dutch politics. He's no longer the man to beat in the upcoming election and is therefore politically no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the Tweede Kamer finished debating the 458 billion budget just before 9 p.m. on Wednesday, while it usually lasts well into the night. And on the second day, Rutte was uh, done answering all the questions at 2.30 p.m. So um, just uh, just uh, the, the fact that uh, yeah, uh, d- these debates didn't uh, d- don't last as long as they used to be yeah. just shows that uh, Rutte is no longer no longer relevant anymore. He's barely and, taking uh, the job seriously anymore, is he? No. In fact, probably if, uh, if he, he even joked on Wednesday yeah. uh, that uh, he, he he basically can take a day day off on, on Thursday <laughs> because uh, nobody <laughs> was asking him any questions. Yeah, he's probably annoyed that it was bad weather because he probably wanted he probably had his uh, swimming trunks on under his suit and he was going to head straight up to the beach after you know <laughs> and uh, and have a cocktail on the swim. Uh, while while the others were still in Parliament, I reckon, yeah. Um, And not only for Mark Rutte, this was the last uh, APB. Other familiar faces uh, have announced their departure from Dutch politics, such as Chairwoman Vera Bergkamp, who uh, just brutally interrupted our recording. Yes. Um, Orthodox Christian uh, SGP leader and father of the house, Kees van der Staaij, will also leave. Savannah Simons of Bijeen and Denk leader Farid Azarkan. Uh, Yeah, we will... uh, not see them return after November 22nd. No. Um, And another consequence of the fall of the cabinet uh, was that the coalition no longer exists. uh, And that means that the debate was a free for all and the four former coalition parties were free to submit motions and proposals uh, with only two months to go until the general election on November 22nd. It was widely expected uh, the debate to be the first campaign debate uh, even though quite a few political leaders weren't present, such as Frans Timmermans, who I don't even know where he is. I haven't he- heard about him no. from him in the media recently, I have to say. Yeah, he's gone very quiet, um, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's and other uh, leaders uh, yeah, literally had to sit, stay on the sidelines. Uh, uh, Dylan Jesselgus, who will lead the VVD party into the election. She's the Minister of uh, Justice. She was sitting in the Tweede Kamer, but she wasn't allowed to say anything no. because uh, Rutte... Uh, has the word and also Rob Jette the climate minister who will lead D66 also uh, yeah, didn't participate in the in the debate yeah um, and of course uh, 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 two of the leaders of uh, the parties that are uh, leading the polls uh, Peter Omzicht and Caroline van der Plas uh, because they only have well Omzicht is uh, a one man band and van der Plas is leader of a four a party of four MPs uh, they had very limited speaking time as well so they didn't yeah, really get yeah. in, in, into it in any substance either <laughs> No, and when they were speaking, they weren't interrupted by any other political yeah. leaders, which, uh, yeah, probably because they didn't want to give them, uh, yeah, some 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 airtime. Yeah, uh, yeah, they didn't want to give them like uh, they, yeah, they wanted to hide them, uh, keep them out of the spotlight. Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, uh, d- they wanted to ignore them, and, and uh, now they can, st- now they still can, uh, probably. So uh, yeah, we didn't hear a lot about from from Omzicht or uh, Caroline van der Plas. Um, 
And in the debate, most party leaders focused uh, their speeches on improving bestaanszekerheid, uh, the, uh, what is it, security of um, Yeah, security of existence, existence I think. Yeah. Yeah. We need to find a better we, term we for need that. To find we need to find better yeah, yeah, we need to work on that. Um, unsurprisingly, bestaanszekerheid means something different for everybody. PVV leader Geert Wilders said reducing the number of uh, immigrants and restricting Islam is the way forward, while animal rights party leaders... Esther Auerhans said combating climate change is crucial. Yeah, so they're all uh, on their hobby horses as they always are. Yeah, Exactly, and they uh, project all their hobby horses on the yeah. new buzzword, Bestaanszekerheid. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, th- th- those were the inputs of the different political leaders. Yeah. Um, if you want to know more about uh, the different political parties we have in the Netherlands, uh, you should become a patron. Uh, because um, starting from October, we will uh, do some special episodes explaining to you uh, what the political parties are, what they stand for, a little bit about their recent history and uh, how they are projected to do in the upcoming elections. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we say it wasn't um, much of an election debate as we were hoping for, but we did see some, I think, election battle lines being drawn. And uh, one surprising battle line, I think, was the N35 regional road in uh, in Twente, right? Because... Uh, there seems to be yeah. a lot of discussion about this because uh, that's right. Because uh, yeah, on the one hand, it is of course a uh, quite an expensive piece of infrastructure yeah. which uh, um, uh, appeals to the Favour Day Party, of yeah. course. But also, um, it is one of these areas in the yeah outskirts of the Netherlands, these rural areas that a lot of political parties feel say have been ignored for 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 quite a long time. It is a very dangerous road that that runs right in the middle of a yeah basically a small village and uh, it is very dangerous it is the only motorway that passes right in the middle of of the city center of 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 a village uh, left in the netherlands and there has been talks about uh, diverting this uh, this this road uh, for many years now and there is that there have there had been money allocated to finally realize this but uh, yeah because we are in difficult economic times mm. this money has been scrapped and it's uh, Caroline van der Plas but also Peter Omzicht and also the ChristenUnie they made and the CDA's as well by the way yeah. they made a point about um, uh, yeah uh, 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 continuing this project because it is so important and it is almost a symbol for or uh, many of their yeah uh, yeah I mean yeah it's where it, yeah, it's kind of a crossroads for many of their um, campaign issues isn't it yeah it's quite, it's quite amusing I just thought to see a road that passes through a village of 1500 people uh, Marienheim I think in uh, just outside yeah. Enschede uh, become quite a subject of it becomes such a big focus of the national budget debate uh, I thought it was kind of, kind of quite cute in a way but, uh, and of course so Caroline von der Plas got up and mentioned it and talked about it for a bit and then um, uh, because it's uh, obviously she's from Daventer, and that's her uh, has a lot of support down there, and it's and that's just around the corner. But also for Peter Omzicht, of course, his for his his voter base originally was in Enschede, and he's filmed his campaign video there. He makes a big thing about mm. being from Daventer, so he then stood up and had to sort of deliver a whole speech about what he knew about the N35 yeah. regional <laughs> road and the need for a bypass. So this village is going to be a real political hotspot, I think. Um, I think I can see uh, TV crews uh, <laughs> going out there on mass at some point during the campaign to to interview all the locals maybe they should organize uh, tv and debates uh, right on the crossroads of that uh, yeah. of that uh, uh, dangerous motorway yes yeah. uh, so what um, other plans did uh, the uh, opposition parties and the coalition parties in fact because they're all opposition parties in some ways now uh, yeah. have up their sleeve um, yeah, Henry Bontebal, he is the uh, yeah, quite unknown leader of CDA. He, he introduced a plan to tax private jets uh, and also uh, introduced a tax for transfer passengers at Schiphol Airport. He said that that will result in 260 million uh, uh, euros for the for the treasury, uh, and he wants to um, uh, use that money to reduce energy bills for small firms and families. Um, the VVD, uh, of course, is focusing on uh, the cars. Of course, they, uh, the Vroom Vroom Party. <laughs> the Vroom Vroom Party, <laughs> they want to scrap the proposed uh, 20 cent per liter tax on petrol and diesel. Accents uh, in Dutch. Um, yeah. It would mean that a liter of petrol will cost around 250 after January 1st. Uh, and the VVD managed to get so a majority support to scrap that, even yeah. though it will cost quite uh, quite a lot of money for the Treasury. Yeah, and they're going to fund it, I think, by cutting the uh, the, the business growth fund, which usually yeah. is a thing that you thought the VVD would be quite 
in favor of as well. So. Ja, de groeifonds, ja, yeah, that's money, that, uh, that, uh, that, that's the Wopke... Uh, ah, de Wopke fund, of course. De Wopke Wiebes fund, yes. Yeah. This idea by yeah, one of their own ministers and also Wopke Hoekstra, uh, this, this huge uh, multi-billion dollar fund which was uh, introduced to, to uh, pay for some um, yeah, innovation yeah. Uh, for companies but also in, uh, universities, I believe. Um, and that money is sitting there. It's basically not being spent. So yeah, the VVD thinks yeah that's uh, that's a nice uh, pot of money we can use to uh, to fund this uh, this plan. Um, and interestingly enough, they also got support from left wing parties. Of course, uh, many people who need their car to go to work are also affected by this uh, tax increase on petrol. So uh, yeah. they managed to get support uh, from those parties as well. Yeah, because the SPA, the Socialist Party, they're in favour of it as well. Even though they also yeah. complain about all the subsidies for fossil fuels. But it's fine if those subsidies for fossil fuels go in your car. Because we should say that this is not um, a tax rise. They're they're ending a discount that was brought in when petrol prices went shooting up at the start of the war in Ukraine, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, but petrol prices, petrol prices are still very high. So, yeah, yeah. an increase in that will uh, w- will uh, affect uh, the average car driver, uh, yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, there was also an interesting coalition between uh, GroenLinks, PvdA and Christian Union. Um, the Christian Union wants to increase the minimum wage to 14 euros per hour, uh, but they also want to invest in public transport in rural areas and cut the increase in train ticket prices. So this um, also, um, uh, 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 you know, has, it's a similar thing like the, what was it, motorway in, where was it again? Uh. The motorway in, uh, in near Enschede. Oh, the, uh, the the N35 road uh, n- yeah. n- at at Meinheim, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, because if you live in Zeeland or in Drenthe or mm. somewhere else, uh, uh, or in the rural areas of Brabant, for example, there are uh, almost no buses anymore, yeah. right? And, uh, and if there is a bus, uh, you have to you have to walk like to the main road a mile away from the, a kilometer outside of your village to actually catch the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and have to wait an hour if you miss one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, uh, they, the, the, the bus services only go, uh, only um, the buses only drive at a certain time. So if you have a late shift or anything, you can't go home. So um, these parties want uh, to reserve a lot of money to increase um, uh, the uh, public transport uh, services especially in these areas and also reduce the train tickets, um, the, the, the increase in train ticket prices, because yeah, we mentioned that I think two or three weeks ago, the NS is planning to increase train tickets and yeah. uh, they want to avoid that. But again, that costs uh, costs quite uh, some money. Mm-hmm. And I forgot to write down uh, where they want to get that, but uh, they had a sort of, uh, they, they, they had a plan to, right. <laughs> to, uh, to reserve <laughs> the money, yes. Um, so, so, yeah, so yeah, lots of amendments as ever being put forward to the budget. Uh, have any um, been accepted? Not yet, because as we are recording, the Tweede Kamer is voting on yeah. all the motions that uh, that have been tabled uh, during the debate. Um, but it is uh, clear that the um, uh, 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 petrol duty motion uh, has a uh, has a majority. Um, as we already said, um, uh, funding uh, still needs to be uh, worked out. But uh, yeah, they uh, it will cost 1.4 billion euros. Uh, apparently, they're going to use the cash method um, which means that uh, all the ministries have to scrape to scrape away an equal amount of money from their budget um, or, or they will uh, tap into the national growth fund uh, which was meant for innovation and also the 300 million to improve regional public transport uh, will pass uh, probably as well as the uh, 120 million to cut train tickets uh, increases and um, there was more. Oh, yeah. And there is um, more money will be reserved uh, t- for daycares for children. All right. Two billion by increasing maximum tax rates. Um, so yeah, if you uh, if you earn a lot of mm. money, you will uh, you will uh, uh, you will notice. Um, and parents, it means that it means that parents will have to contribute less. So uh, yeah, they will uh, they will uh, they won't have to spend too much money on uh, yeah sending their children to daycare. Yeah. Um, so it's good for working families. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And yeah. that um, that motion will have a very small majority. Uh, the ChristenUnie and D66, which were former coalition parties, they teamed up with GroenLinks and PvdA and other smaller opposition um, parties. So uh, yeah, that uh, that has a support of si- 76 seats. Oh, so yeah, um, yeah, very small, the very slim majority. majority. Yeah. The smallest possible majority, um, but yeah, it it was a free for all because usually you, what you see is you have a coalition, and the coalition parties will block basically every other proposal. Yeah. And now there is uh, we are in caretaker mode. It means that uh, everyone is free for all. Yeah, uh, everyone is free, and uh, yeah, they can uh, um, form um, coalitions uh, like they want. Yeah, and no, an awful lot of horse trading, indeed. Yeah, for some very expensive horses. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. And it was a very um, embarrassing moment for Caroline from the Plus because she tabled a motion also to increase the minimum wage. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she had a. It was. It was. Um, she she phrased it quite funnily. She said, um, "I want to increase the minimum wage somewhat." That was the literal mm-hmm. word she used. And it's and it will be funded by decreasing government spending right without specifying <laughs> yeah what part of the government uh, spending she will uh, she will decrease okay so um, um, a lot of political parties they 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 ran forward to the microphone to uh, to say that yeah if you are going to spend two or three billion euros you really need to you know have a plan on how to how to finance that and how to fund that yeah and you can't just um yeah uh, uh, you, you can't just shout that you want something without uh, thinking it through and it shows that Caroline from the Plus until March she was only a one party one person party right and yep. they, she, she could say anything and nobody really took her serious, but seriously but now she is uh, projected to yeah probably win the, co- the win the upcoming elections she is uh, she has some higher standards to um, yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Well, all of a sudden, she, yeah, she's coming under a lot more scrutiny, and uh, yeah, than she yeah. was before. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So that was also an interesting uh, shift to notice. Yeah, yes. she's going to learn fast. Yeah, how to. Yeah, that you have to back up your ideas with uh, substance. A man from Tilburg was released from a Spanish prison this week after he was detained without charge for two months. The 35-year-old man was arrested at a hotel in Spain while he was on his way to visit family in Morocco. Spanish authorities suspected him of having connections with a terrorist group in Arnhem, but the Dutch police and prosecution service say he wasn't wanted for any crime in the Netherlands. Members of Parliament, lawyers and the mayors of Tilburg and Arnhem, where he used to live, all took part in the campaign to free the man, and on Wednesday he was released and put on a plane to the Netherlands, which is a bit of a shame for him because he was trying to get to Morocco. His lawyer, hmm. Samir, uh, his lawyer, Samir Sabir, said there was still a lot of doubt and uncertainty surrounding his arrest. So if he wasn't wanted by the police in the Netherlands, why was he arrested? Yeah, apparently this isn't the first time this has happened. Um, Muslim Rights Watch Nederland, uh, which is a non-profit organisation that was involved in the campaign to release him, says dozens of Dutch nationals have been detained in other countries in recent months. And website Follow the Money uh, published details recently of a secret list of people that the United States suspects of involvement in terrorism, even Mm. when they're not wanted for crimes in their own countries. There's kind of a no-fly list, basically. And it goes back to 2012, when youngsters from Muslim communities travelled to Syria to take part in the civil war. Some of them ended up fighting for what was then called Islamic State, and police then started keeping a register, not just of them, but of their friends and their family members as well. Mm. So an awful lot of innocent people were caught up. Uh, Samira um, Sabir said she believed her client was one of hundreds of Dutch people whose names are on the list but we don't actually know who they are because it's a secret list and she's seeking an injunction now against the Dutch state to force it to reveal if his name was indeed shared with foreign intelligence agencies and um, did the justice minister find any time responding to this, uh, given that she was uh, sitting in the Tweede Kamer all day? Yeah, well, this was the, this, the, I mean, the, the details of the list broke uh, last month. And at the time, uh, Dylan Schilgers uh, confirmed in a briefing that the Dutch police do share their records with the United States. She also said she couldn't exclude the possibility that some names may have been wrongly included. But it was basically up to people who were on the list to take action to get their names removed. They had to get their names removed from a secret list that they don't know about. Yeah. And the problem is, of course, they often only become aware that they're on the list when they're picked up at a foreign airport and thrown in a prison cell for two months. Yeah, when it's already too late. Yes. Yes. 
Here at the Dutch News Podcast, we can't promise to tell you why you've been thrown in a Spanish jail for a crime you didn't commit, but we do do our best to answer all the other tricky questions about life and politics in the Netherlands. And we couldn't do it without the support of you, the selfless and generous patrons who keep us going with your euros, your dollars and your pounds. So as ever, we'd like to take a moment to say a big thank you to all the people who sponsor this podcast and suggest perhaps uh, that if you're not currently a patron and you can afford a couple of euros a month, do consider backing us through our Patreon page. It really does make a difference. All new patrons get a special shout out by way of thanks, the chance to ask us a question and access to our bonus content. And there's going to be plenty of bonus content in the run up to the election. So watch this space. This week, we welcome one new patron, um, Walter Lugman, I guess. Um, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, who's listening to us in Calgary, in Canada. And he's got a question. Looks like a Dutch name. Well, it's a Dutch name, but I'm guessing that as a Canadian, he uh, pronounces it in a Canadian <laughs> way. But perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps yes. it's Walter Lugman. I don't know. Um, mm. Anyway, either way, well, uh, Walter or Walter, thank you very much indeed for your support. <laughs> Uh, he's got a question that touches on a lot of stories we've covered in recent months. He says, um, uh, notices uh, that um, Dutch, uh, the, the courts are getting more and more involved in uh, the policy or getting dragged into uh, deciding on uh, government policy. And he says it often feels from afar like Dutch policy is governed more by the courts than the government. So it can be seen in major issues like the ruling that kicked off the nitrogen crisis, but also things like the wolf paintballing story that uh, we're so fond of. Um, so yeah, um, hmm. uh, so his question is: uh, What's the mechanism for appointing judges in the Netherlands? Is there an election? Are they political appointees, or is it a set process? And are they seen by the public as an impartial or as a elitist or agenda-driven? Yeah, it's uh, they, they're definitely not elected. Uh, judges in the Netherlands are appointed, and they it is a sort of multi-layered, uh, uh, multi-layered system. Yeah, the, the the justice minister appoints the members of the council of the judiciary, and those members appoint the councils of local courts. And these local courts appoint the uh, judges whenever there is a vacancy. And I think judges are allowed to continue until they are 70 or 75 mm -hmm. or something. Um, so it is a multi-layered system. So um, that is to avoid um, uh, yeah, as much political influence in the decision-making and the appointment system as, pos uh, as possible. Yeah, so effectively as much as possible. Uh, senior judges appoint junior judges or they form panels yeah. to appoint junior judges. Yeah. Yeah. What about That's Supreme right. Court, yes. Supreme Court judges? Who who appoints them? Yeah, the, the Supreme judges are appointed by the king, but they have to be nominated by at least three members of parliament, and um, basically their um, uh, nomination are is reviewed by the uh, already existing members of the uh, Supreme Court, and they advise the king to accept this person or not. So right. That is that is that is the process. Okay. So the panel and recommendation is done by um, again by uh, serving judges, but there is a little bit yeah. of political involvement because MPs uh, are the people who put forward the names of uh, proposed uh, justices. Okay, but what you don't have is things like uh, what you have in, in, in America, oh, in right? We have the hearings for, for the Supreme Court uh, justices. No. That doesn't happen. No. Yeah. So there's but, a, there's yeah. very, there's so a very a pretty... small political element in the appointments process, but it's much, much less than in countries like uh, the US or Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. Um, are the judges considered to be um, impartial? Depends yeah, on who you ask, think... doesn't it? Yeah. Depends on who you ask. Yeah, I think generally speaking, people have a lot of trust in judges. Um, but yeah, if you have, for example, a political leader that has to uh, stand trial, mm. uh, for example, Geert Wilders, he uh, yeah he will uh, point out that uh, a lot of the, these judges appear to have a party membership for D66, and uh, <laughs> yeah, then he can frame that as a sort of. Um, yeah, a political trial. So yeah. it depends a little bit on 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 who you ask, uh, but generally speaking, I think they are um, seen as quite impartial and apolitical. Um, there is a debate going on, however, especially given the nitrogen ruling and other rulings as well, that uh, the judiciary is uh, too politically involved uh, because of all their rulings. 
but um, others will say, well, this is actually a fault in, um, in, in, in Dutch politics itself, because if they, if they just produce um, decent uh, uh, laws mm. and decent regulations, then um, yeah, the courts will, n- will, will have no grounds to um, yeah, sort of uh, block them or scrap them or whatever. So yeah. uh, some, say, some say it is indeed the case that the judiciary is, is, is playing as a politician, but others say, yeah, this is actually the fault of politics itself. Yeah, and there's also, I guess, I mean, it is. I mean, but one thing that uh, Walter brings up, which I think is is definitely the case, is that uh, a lot of lobby groups, especially the environmental lobby group, have uh, come to see or have found um, a very receptive audience in the courts, and uh, they've become yeah. very adept at uh, finding ways to challenge government policy, government laws in the courts. And of course, one thing you have in the Netherlands that you don't have in uh, um, uh, countries in other parts of the world is you have the extra layer of European law. So they can find a way to uh, challenge uh, Dutch laws uh, by uh, saying that they conflict with uh, European laws or the European Human Rights Treaty. Uh, then y- yeah. you have a kind of case, yeah, that uh, it makes it very. Yeah, you often you find that uh, the courts end up then uh, striking down a law that's been passed by Parliament, which is what happened with um, the uh, the nitrogen permits for construction. But again, I mean, this just as ultimately Parliament can pass laws to you know, to, and, and the courts interpret. The laws that are passed by Parliament, so Parliament can always pass new and better laws. Uh, to, on the same way, you know, we, we've decided to be part uh, of the European Union and these European treaties. We signed up to them. We want no one held a gun to our heads, and therefore you have to abide by those rules. And that's the way it is. We should hold a referendum on this. Maybe we should. Yeah, I don't think we should. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking from experience, it's it, it won't end well. <laughs> So I hope that's cleared up. Uh, Walter also made one very small point. Uh, point we'll get through very quickly as well. He said he wasn't sure what the council of state was all about. The council of state is the uh, highest administrative court. Uh, yes, and the government's um, uh, advisory board. It's legal advisor as well. And so every law is vetted by the council of state before it's passed. Yes, right. and the yeah. council of state is uh, headed by the president of the council of state is automatically the king. Yes, uh, which which uh, also makes it uh, constitutionally dubious, mm-hmm. uh, according to a lot of people. But he's never present there. The real person in charge is the vice president of um, of the council of state, yeah. and that person is uh, therefore always called the under king uh, of the Netherlands. Yeah, but that was one of uh, Amalia's first duties, right, as crown princess. She had to attend yeah. a meeting of the council of state to see what uh, future job was going to be so that's uh, uh, Walter's question. We also had a follow-up question from um, another new patron, Keith Fitzpatrick, uh, who's asked about um, uh, whether people contact MPs with their uh, administrative, administrative issues. As, uh, in the UK, people who have an issue with the government will write to their constituency MP and ask them to help them out with uh, if they're st- uh, having a conflict with the system. In the Netherlands, there are no constituencies, so do Dutch people write letters to members of the Trader Kammer? And if so, who the, do they write to? And the um, uh, the British MPs also have a walk-in hour, right? They, they usually, uh, once a week, they have what's called a constituency yeah. surgery, yeah, where they, ah. people can just walk in and, uh, yeah, and, and list their grievances um, and they can promise to try and do something about them. And surprisingly often, actually, as long as it's a reasonable uh, request, you've got a <laughs> dispute with the council or something and you're stuck uh, and you, you can't see a way forward. Sometimes, surprising how often just a letter from the MP on headed notepaper uh, sets things uh, sets things moving. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. The good thing about uh, not having one single uh, person representing you is that you can contact everybody. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, if you are a little bit tactical, then of course you will uh, you will tend to contact to send a letter to a uh, coalition MP. Um, uh, rather than to uh, to opposition MPs, but just as I was watching uh, the debate uh, uh, this afternoon, um, the MPs they step forward and they say, "Oh, I just got an email from somebody yep. who said that." So it happens very often that they that they are literally uh, referencing uh, letters they received. Um, and uh, but but what is usually the the yeah the most effective way to uh, to contact a an mp is uh, join a lobby group mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably why we have so many yeah. of them and they they they, uh, they are usually much more effective in in getting thing getting things done even though yeah um 
uh, uh, MPs in the Netherlands don't interfere with business you have with the municipality or with uh, with other local governments, for example. That's strictly strictly separated. Limits, but yeah. yeah, if you have a big issue, then yeah, you can just contact them, and yeah, they uh, they will use it to. Um, or, or, or not, but they might use it to uh, to address some issues. Yeah, to, uh, but, but to I think they, they do like any feedback from people, and they try and use it where they can because it shows that they're in touch with the people. And some big issues yeah. have blown up from that kind of grassroots approach, like the Tuslachnafera that started, I think, with yeah. MPs picking up soundings from the community that uh, parents were having, you know, uh, dealing with these. And again, that's a conflict with another arm of government, right? They were in dispute with the tax office, and they brought their concerns to um, MPs via their lawyers quite often but uh, once MPs got wind of the fact that this was going on and it was quite widespread then the SP and Peter Omzicht picked up the case and it ended up with a parliamentary inquiry and the resignation of the cabinet so yeah it can make a difference but if uh, you appreciate listening to us wittering on and uh, you'd like to become a patron of the Dutch News podcast you can log on to www.patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl a two-year trial aimed to test the effectiveness of two vaccines against birth flu has started this week, with the first 1,800-day-old chicks receiving a jab. Um, can I can I come up with a Dunson met Janssen <laughs> variant? <laughs> no. The Vogeltjes dance. They could the Vogeltjes dance. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, of yeah, course. The bird, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the birdie song dance. Over 7 million chickens, ducks and turkeys have been killed in the past two years as a result of the spread of the highly contagious bird flu, which experts fear have become endemic. The trial will be monitored by Wageningen University and will run until 2025. Yeah, but um, in an uncanny uh, echo of uh, an, uh, the coronavirus vaccination program, there's been lots of criticism that it's been too slow, right? So did they say they didn't want to go for a symbolic kip? <laughs> Uh, yeah, experts say they uh, they want a faster rollout of the vaccines, especially now the bird flu has jumped from poultry to wild birds. Additionally, the vaccines that are being tested are already used outside Europe and have shown to work. Virologist Thijs Kuiken, yes, that's yes, his that name, was him. Yeah. The yep. Yep. Um, and he said there's no reason why they uh, couldn't already be used to vaccinate all poultry in the Netherlands. Uh, the agriculture ministry, however, wants the testing to be thorough, fearing that a large-scale vaccination program with a vaccine that hasn't been officially approved may affect exports. Did he also say that? Uh, yeah, did, so has Thierry Baudet popped up yet and said this is gene therapy and uh, they're, they're uh, genetically manipulating the chickens? Not yet, but I'm sure it's just a matter of time. Anyway, animal rights organisations are taking legal action against the Food and Product Safety Board in a different uh, animal-related story. Yes, uh, Wakker Deer demands more space for chickens raised on factory farms and claims the Netherlands has been breaking EU rules for more than a decade. Additionally, the animal rights organisation wants the European Commission to intervene. Since 2007, no more than 33 kilos of broiler chickens can be raised within a square meter, uh, and that's the equivalent of around 16 chickens. There is an exemption if farmers adhere to minimum welfare standards and death rates of chicken is low, allowing them to uh, allowing them up to 21 chickens per square meter. But Wakadir said the NVWA, so that's the uh, what is it, the um, uh, food and production, the, the, yeah, the, the food, food, food standards agency, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, isn't properly monitoring uh, whether farms meet the rules. The NVWA and Farm Ministry are now in talks with Wakadir, which will go ahead with this legal action because they say the ministry is usually very slow with these sort of issues. And with its vaccinations as well. So yeah. lots of criticism of uh, slow-moving uh, uh, mm. yeah, um, uh, uh, civil servants. And again, an example of one of these lobby groups that uh, just go to court to uh, to 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 enforce the government to do so. Yeah, yeah, to to to, plot, to to thwart the government's plans. Yeah. Sports news, and we start with mixed fortunes for the Dutch clubs in the Champions League this week. Feyenoord managed a 2-0 win at home to Celtic after a nervy start. Calvin Stengs whipped in a free kick just before half time. Celtic made life a lot easier by contriving to have two of their players sent off early in the second half. But the second goal didn't arrive until the 76th minute when Ali Reza Jahan Baksh crashed in a low cross. 
not such a good result for PSV. They travelled to London to play Arsenal and were given something of a lesson in the first half. Peter Boss said before the game that he was committed to playing positive football and if it all goes wrong, it's my fault, he said, which didn't give him anywhere to hide when his team were on the wrong end of a 4-0 drubbing. Bakayo Sako scored uh, Bakayo Sako scored Arsenal's first after eight minutes when Walter Benitez could only palm away a shot by Martin Osgaard. Belgian winger Leandro Trossard doubled the lead after 20 minutes and then set up Gabriel Jesus to make it 3-0 before half-time. PSV did improve in the second half, but they couldn't stop Odegaard glossing the scoreline with a long-range strike. Boss said PSV's return to the Champions League after four years had been a cold shower and his players had given Arsenal too much space around their penalty area, but promised they would learn from the experience. Uh, Do you remember... I think a couple of years ago, when um, the cabinet uh, during the Algemene Beschouwingen, there was a there was all, all of a sudden a, a camera shot from the back of them, and they were shown to uh, they were seen watching football. They were watching football of, on their uh, phones or the tablets, the weren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Which uh, which also proves that uh, the debate used usually takes uh, much longer than uh, than it did this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they can manage to actually get to the game this uh, time, although. PSV's next match is on October the 2nd at home to Sevilla, who drew one all at home against Lens in their opening game. Feyenoord will travel to Spain to face Atletico Madrid on Wednesday. Uh, there were matches in the Europa League and the Conference League on Thursday. Um, AZ Alkmaar were 3-0 up against uh, Zrinyi of uh, Mostar in Bosnia, uh, but they managed to somehow collapse in the second half and lose 4-3. In, uh, so that's a uh, setback for them and Ajax are playing later on on Thursday, we're recording on Thursday night so we can't bring the result of their game uh, Speaking of Ajax they have been involved in some pretty good uphef this week uh, Some pretty uh, heavy duty uphef actually there's been some dodgy dealing allegedly involving their director of football Sven Mislintat the German was hired in May to take up the job previously held by Mark Overmars. Uh, you might remember Overmars had to resign 18 months ago after it turned out he'd been sending inappropriate pictures of himself to female colleagues. Miss Lantat is accused of getting a little too close to his business associates. He's accused of not declaring a commercial relationship with the agent of a player who signed for Ajax right at the end of the summer transfer window. Croatian defender Borna Sosa was something of a surprise arrival. He'd already agreed personal terms with Sevilla when Ajax swooped for him on September the 1st. Uh, but at this point, the plot thickens because the day before, Sosa had sacked his agent. He replaced him with a man called Arthur hmm. Beck of a company called AKA Global. And AKA Global has a minority stake in a data analysis company, Matchmetrics, which collects information on footballs around Europe. And Matchmetrics was founded four years ago by none other than Sven Mislantat. Ajax's Ooh. director of football. <laughs> so, a pretty glaring... Yeah, um... On the face of it, a pretty glaring conflict of interest. Now, Ajax said they knew about match yeah. metrics when they appointed Miss Lantat, but they weren't aware when they signed uh, the Croatian defender that Beck had a stake in the company. And that, of course, mm. is a potentially serious breach of the rules because Beck gets a commission from Ajax for brokering the €8 million Euro transfer and Ajax are a listed company on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. So, yeah. uh, and the club mm. has now said in a statement it's hired a forensic accountant, i.e. an accountant um, uh, qualified to investigate cri uh, criminal evidence, to investigate the matter further. And Miss Lantat has pledged his full cooperation. But he's on very, very thin ice, I think, uh, the director of football. Especially because a lot of these um, new football players on the team of Ajax, um, I've seen a lot of comments uh, uh, of people wondering who they are mm. and they were quite surprised that they were signed uh, they, they, they were contracted anyway uh, and yeah, it seems to be uh, seems to be strange almost as if this was a cover up to uh, to uh, to get uh, what, what's his name again Borna Sosa yeah Borna Sosa mm. yeah it was a very strange signing and he, he made his debut uh, last weekend uh, when Ajax played Twente Enschede and they were really poor in that game. I mean, Twente won three one, mm. and they well deserved it. You know, they they looked the better team, and yeah, Ajax seemed to have signed an awful lot of dud players, 
Um, actually, I mean, he said that they bought Sosa for a reasonable amount of money, but um, yeah, the, the question is whether he's really an Ajax standard player at all. Yeah. And of course, this has yeah. over- overshadowed their attempts to qualify. They're playing Marseille, who are even even in even deeper trouble, but mostly on the pitch um, uh, the, tonight in the uh, uh, Europa League. But uh, yeah, so having had such a, the worst start to the season in 59 years, and now it turns out that uh, there's some possible trans- uh, dodgy transfer business going on, it's a fairly, you know, fairly troubled times uh, in the Amsterdam it's an arena. enormous can moment. of worms, yes. Yeah. Okay, going to tennis, there were some... Uh uh, there was some success at the Davis Cup finals, right? Uh, the Dutch team have reached the Davis Cup finals. Uh, they uh, oh, last week uh, we brought you the news that they upset the USA um, in the <laughs> qualifying group in uh, in Croatia in split. They then lost to Croatia, <laughs> to Croatia, uh, but they've still managed to qualify from that group together with Finland. So the Americans are out, which is a huge surprise. The quarterfinals take place in Malaga at the end of November, and the Dutch have been drawn against Italy. In the other ties, Finland take on Canada, Australia play the Czech Republic, and Great Britain face Novak Djokovic's Serbia. So that will be the end of their campaign. Yes. A 250-year-old planetarium built into the ceiling of a private house in Friesland has become the latest Dutch entry on the UNESCO World Heritage List. The Eisinga Planetarium in Franeker. That, that, that guy probably has the most Frisian name ever, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess Eisinger. so, yeah. Eisinger, yeah. It's like almost as yes. good as... Um, who, what was the name again of the chairman of the Elfstedentoch committee? He had a very freezing name. Oh, I can't remember I that. Viska B. Viska Viebing or something like that. So. Uh, that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds plausible, yes. Uh, the Eisinga Planetarium in Franeker is the oldest working planetarium in the world. It was constructed by wool merchant Eisinga as a moving model of the solar system between 1774 and 1781 in the ceiling of his own home. Was there a lockdown then? Possibly. possibly. <laughs> it sounds like a lockdown project, doesn't it? Just build your yeah, own planetarium in, in your house. The, the, <laughs> there was a uh, there was a potential apocalypse coming up. Though, oh, so right. Okay. Uh, that that might be, it. Then yeah. it might be cir- uh, similar circumstances, yes. Because Eisinga built the planetarium to disprove a popular doomsday prophet's claim that certain planets were on a collision course, which would prompt the end of the world. Was he, actually, was he, he also trying to disprove the moon landings? Possibly, possibly. <laughs> I mean, uh, in, in 1781, he, he had a point yes. denying the moon landing. But then it was happened, true yes. that man had never been on the moon, yeah. That's right. He used the model to show the planets were actually in conjunction. Uh, Eisinga wasn't a scientist in the formal sense, UNESCO writes on its website, but a creative genius who built the planetarium entirely on his own initiative. The UNESCO committee, which decided to include the site on the list, said it was an iconic example of an 18th century orrery. Orrery? Orrery. I don't know. I don't know. It's not a word I know Uh, either. No, but... Yeah, it it, it means planetarium. Right. (laughs) I think someone just looked at the uh, uh, list of synonyms and just picked this one because planetarium was... uh, uh, Had already been used. (laughs) Appearing too much in the article, (laughs) yes. Um, he represents exceptional creativity in both its extraordinary technical design and execution. And the fact that it's still running today mm. is a uh, is proof of that. Um, it's uh, open to the public, uh, so uh, it is definitely worth visiting Franeker, even though it's uh, quite a train ride away mm. if you live near us uh, in The Hague or in the Randstad. But yeah. it's definitely worth going there. Well, wait till January and, and you can uh, skate there. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, you can just cross the Eiselmeer. Yeah. Um, there is a uh, also a fun fact, uh, and that is that um, the um, planetarium includes seven uh, um, planets, and he had promised his wife that he would never expand it, but the year before he uh, finished uh, uh, working on it. Um, Uranus was discovered. Oh. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was discovered in time, but he couldn't include it because he had promised his wife. It was in the mi- it was the ceiling of their living room, right? So she has a point that, uh, yeah, they... Uh, 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 even though he, it was already so large and extravagant, he could easily have uh, inc- included the, that, uh, that latest uh, planet there as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and uh, in the l- in the show notes, you will find a list of uh, the twelve other uh, places uh, in the Netherlands on the UNESCO World Heritage List. Uh, one of them includes the uh, canals of Amsterdam, yeah. but also um, the Waddenzee and the Rietveld-Schrödinger House in Utrecht and other interesting places as well. The Kinderdijk mi- uh, uh, windmills, of course. Yes. Yeah. All must-see attractions. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. And you can get with that, and you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com/dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Barbados, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we will be back next week. And we tell you why a bedroom ceiling in Friesland has been added to the World Heritage List. And no, it's not Johan Dirksen's. Because <laughs> I'm sure he's the kind of guy absolutely nailed on has mirrors on his bedroom ceiling. <laughs> Please stop it. <laughs> Thank you. Right, it that's, that's the last reference you're on Dixon. Everyone stop listening now. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was his living room, not his bedroom. Oh, I thought Could it was his wrong. bedroom. Oh. Yeah, I I haven't read it any, or anything. I just thought it was his living room. Uh, maybe we should check that. Although it, reads, it ruins the gag, but that's probably for the best, actually. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, that's right. Uh, read the... <laughs> Yeah, living room. Yeah. Oh, this is living room. Oh, roof of private yeah. house, yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to read. It is for the best, though. <laughs> it is for the best, definitely for the best, yeah. Right, where's the line? Where's the script? Come on. <coughs>